Thank you, musicians. We appreciate your ministry. First Samuel chapter 7 is where we're going to go tonight in the Word of God. Peter, that's St. Peter or Apostle Peter, however you want to look at it tonight. Um, he stops a man at the gate of heaven. It's not a true story, by the way. He asked him to give an account of himself. He says, tell me one good thing you did in your life. The man paused for a moment, and then he responded. He said, I saw a gang harassing an elderly woman, and I kicked a leader, leader in the shins. He said, what happened then? Or he said, no, he said, when did this happen? About 40 seconds ago. <laughs> you could say that was a turning point <clears throat> in this man's life. <laughs> One kick in the shins, and he's up in heaven. Praise God. Well, I want to look at turning points tonight. It's important. Uh, we see this in the Word of God this evening. We'll kind of get into it once we read our text. But um, let's do that. Amen. First Samuel 7, verse number 2 is where I'm going to pick it up, and then we'll launch off here. So it was that the ark remained in Kerjif Jerim, a long time, it was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asteroids that, that from among you, and repair your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the asteroids and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, poured out before the Lord, and they fasted that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords, uh, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease. To cry out to the Lord for our, to our, of our Lord our God for us, that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines. That day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, and drove them back as far below Beth as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer, saying, "Thus far the Lord has helped us." So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. I'm going to look at turning points this evening. And uh, my first point is simply doing what is right from our own eyes. Because you got to understand, God has a will. Amen. And he's, we're called to do things God's way, amen, because of this very reason. And, you know, servant, serving God, uh, 
the fact is we're serving him, right? And so you need to serve him his way. It's his will, right? I mean, he's the one that calls the shot. It only makes sense because, you know, uh, he's the one that lets us know how to serve him. He reveals himself to us, hence the Bible, amen. So, you know, to serve God in your own will and you call the shots really is, it's, it's a subtle form of idolatry is what it is. Or maybe we could just say it's just not serving God at all. It's what we probably would call religion tonight in our assembly, amen. It makes you feel good, but it doesn't do you any good. And as time goes on, you just deceive yourself and it just keeps you from the truth. But we can find ourselves sometimes in this place where we are doing right in our own eyes. Away from God. Amen. This book, this book, 1 Samuel, is actually a carryover from Judges. Ruth, obviously, was during the Judges period, but... Uh, when you go, when you start Judges, it's just that. It's the period of the judges judging Israel. And Samuel's actually the last judge of Israel. And so when you go into the book of 1 Samuel, it's somewhat of an overlap there. Amen. And the Bible says about Judges, 17.6, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's kind of the, the epitaph over that book. They did what was right. Chapter 2, 19 says, They did not cease from their own doings, nor from their stubborn ways. And so this is that mindset. In our text even, you know, uh, uh, you know the Ark of the Covenant, 20 years it's been out of Israel. 20 years. It's like the, it, it represents the presence of God and, and nobody's really bothered that it's not where it should be inside of Israel, inside where, where it should be, you know, people would gather and so on and so forth. Uh, it doesn't come back in actually until David's time. And so they're really not too bothered by this, amen. And, uh, but after 20 years, obviously they start to seek God. This is where we pick it up in our text. They're starting to seek God. I mean, it's amazing how long and how far people will go before they finally seek God's help. This can be true outside of church. I understand that. But this is also true inside the church. You know, some people, man, it's like, you don't, you don't know how long they can go. It's like, when are we going to just rise up? When am I going to start saying, God, help me? 20 years, and finally they're like, you know what? Something's missing in my life. <laughs> and so here... What we're looking at is we're looking at a, a turning point, and or maybe we need a turning point. Amen. You know, one some of the reasons for needing a turning point, I would do believe this evening, is because sometimes we can allow some things to accumulate in our lives. That could be things that we've never dealt with, and we probably should have, or things maybe that we have dealt with in times past, but as time goes by, we're starting to let some things slip back into our lives. Sometimes we just turn a blind eye. We, we, we justify things that we know deep down we probably should judge or at least say no to. Things that really have no place in our lives, whether things we say, things we do. And so sometimes we can allow things to accumulate in our lives and it's like, I need a turning point here. Things are getting cluttered. Sometimes we begin to drift. You know, most people don't walk away from God. They drift. 
Like I've said in times past, backsliding is not a blowout. It's a slow leak. So when people blow out, it's like, yeah, no, that was leaking for a long time. Because people don't walk away from God. They drift away. You know, if you've ever been out a river drifting, you, you just don't see it. You know what I'm saying? You're busy talking. You're with people. Maybe you're fishing. And all of a sudden, you look up, and you're like, whoa, man, we started way up there. And you just kind of drift down. The book of Judges said they served God as long as the first generation lived. Joshua's generation and the elders after that, they served God. The nation did. But when they died, they ceased serving God. And I, and I think about that. It's just, it just shows you how powerful that influence and accountability can be. Then when there was a loss of that influence and accountability, people started doing what they wanted to do. It didn't matter. Amen. You know, sometimes you, know, sometimes you see people, they separate themselves from godly believers or they separate themselves from godly examples. Amen. And this is a mistake that's made over time. Because we, we influence one another. It's just the way it is. It's, it's human nature. That's why when you have a new film come out, everybody says the punchline, you know? Six months later, you know, people are saying stuff. You know, I'll be back. It's like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, or, or that one that went on there for a while, somebody would say something stupid, and then they go, not. So why do you say it then? It drove me crazy, man. I don't know what, i never seen the movie. And it's just like, you know, but we're influenced by stuff like that. And so we are really influenced by one another. So when we take ourselves away from people that are living for God or take ourselves away from godly believers, what's influencing your life? Or maybe they were living on the coattails of these people without ever really establishing a relationship or a walk with God. And you can't do that for very long or you'll eventually drift away. Or maybe they stopped pursuing the will of God. I don't know. God, I just want to live for you. I just want to do what's right. But, you know, sometimes doing right doesn't feel all that good. You know, sometimes it's hard or, or you're doing right and, and people come against you for doing right. It's just, it's just the normal thing. Amen. The Bible admonishes us to pursue God, to seek after God, to press in to the things of God. That's the posture that we take. It's just something like, you know, just, just a going forward, a striving. These are Bible words, how you live for God. It's possible you're just stubborn. You want to do it your way. <laughs> I did it my way. It's the very essence of the book of Judges, right? They, it ended in disaster. And that's where our text spins off of. 20 years, no ark in Israel. Finally, somebody says, you know what? Something's missing. That ark stands for God's presence. It's not just God everywhere. We're talking about God's presence where something happens, something's transpiring. It's real. It's real in my life. And it's here where they begin to return to God. So let's consider the return. Because, you know, in reality, when you look at Jesus' admonitions, when he calls people to follow him, what he really does say is, you got to be all in. 
just like the book, right? All in, amen. It's easy to complain about all the problems, and at the same, same time, we can refuse to act, we can refuse to change, and we, we don't do what we need to do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's so easy, you know, spot the problem and maybe now see the solution. This is where our text helps us out, amen. I believe our text kind of unfolds to you and I how to have a turning point in our lives. And you notice here, the first thing they do is they cry out to God for help. I mean, they're just at that place. Verse 6, so they gathered at Mizpah. They drew water, poured it out before the Lord. They fasted that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. In other words, they started by repentance. They started by repentance, confessing their sins, confessing their compromises to God. Amen. And this is very valid. God, God receives that. God, God is looking for that. God is looking for that turning point. It's like they poured out their heart to God in repentance. It could also be a picture of self-denial, like drawing water, like you would draw it for yourself and then you pour it out. Kind of goes hand in hand with the fasting. God, not my will, but yours be done. I want to seriously move forward with you. So this leads them to establish God as their priority. This is what a surrendered heart is to God. God, you're the priority in my life. And that's exactly what these people start to do. They remove the sin, remove the, the compromises. They start turning from their idols. Those things that we maybe trust in place of God or things that uh, kind of control us like, you know, pride or success or other people's opinion and whatever else. And we start putting them aside. We say, you know what, God, I'm not going to worry about what other people say, other people's opinion. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to let my pride get in the way. You are first in my life. Verse 4, the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Asteroths and served the Lord only. Priority. They put him first in their lives. Like the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6.33, and his righteousness. Something else they did is they started to depend on God through prayer. Thus far, verse 12, the Lord has helped us. Invited, you know, you got to invite God into your life through prayer. Um, every circumstance, every situation, cry out to God for help. Learn how to depend upon God. It's vital to establish a prayer life with God. Amen. I mean, think about it. Salvation started with the prayer. It really did. I mean, the first day you pray, you ask Jesus to come into your life, and it's like a flood to your life, and things happen, and you're like, wow, that's prayer. That's getting God to move in your life. And so you, you pray to receive him, amen, but, but uh, you know, how do you receive from him? You continue to pray to him. Just how you receive salvation. God, I got a situation, circumstance. Just like they had in our text, Philistines were brutal. And they're like, you know, this is not good. God, help us. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. So they started to establish, you see, prayer. Verse 9, Samuel took a suckling lamb, offered as a whole burnt offering. 
He cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. It's a good picture of renewed dedication to God. Not just I'm a Christian now, which in today's world has multiple definitions and only should have one, you know. But I'm going to dedicate myself to God. You know, people dedicate themselves to a lot of things. They dedicate themselves to animals, research, sports, all kinds of things, science, amen, and how much more we could dedicate our lives to God. And that's what these people do. They set it aside. They dedicated their lives to God. When Paul got called on the Damascus Road, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? In other words, he's already laid it down. He's already decided, I've dedicated my life to God. Didn't even know. Basically, God gives him a, an empty sheet of paper. He signs it, gives it back, says, what do you want me to do? Surrendered will. Surrendered to God's will. That's called making a return. Very simple if you think about it. This is a very small caption, portion of Scripture. These people are wretched. They're serving, you know, the sex god, Aphrodite's or Astaroth's, nasty as that was. They're, they're uh, serving... Baal, the power, God, sex and power, you know what I'm saying? And they're just, I mean, they're totally corrupt. They're totally away from God. It's just a mess. If you back up, I mean, whenever you read the book of Judges, I don't know about you, I just finished reading it. <laughs> and then you get to that part where the children of Benjamin ravished that guy's concubine, blah, blah, blah. I mean, all night, just brutally destroyed her and then he gets up the next morning the guy you know goes home and he cuts her up into 12 pieces and sends her carcass all over israel and they basically slaughter an entire tribe of benjamin less than what about 600 people 600 men 60 whatever it was and i think my goodness that this is israel this is the people of god and so when you, when you look at this, we're sliding right on into Samuel. These people are so lost. And yet all they had to do was just simply turn. God, I need a turning point. Well, we'll see about that. Oh, no, not even. God, we need a turning point. Immediately they repent. Immediately they turn their heart towards God. And God moves on their behalf just like that. With all that stuff behind them. That's forgiveness. That's a God who means it when he says, I take your sin and I throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. The ones you did yesterday, last week, last month, the last six months. I'll just stop right there. I want a turning point. Okay. You got it right now. Let's consider lastly this guy named Ebenezer. <laughs> stands as a reference point. He takes this stone, he sets it up, and he calls it Ebenezer. It means God has helped us. He will continue to help us. You know what it is? It's a memorial stone to a turning point. That's what it is. It's a memorial stone that when you look at it, it says, we had a turning point. No, we didn't become religious. No, we just didn't start going to church. Oh, no, we had a turning point, man. That's what that memorial is too, amen. 
Salvation is a turning point. When a person gets saved, I look at myself, amen. Everything goes back to my turning point. Everything that I do, everything that I don't do, goes right back to that one night, bowing my knee to Jesus Christ. My turning point. It turned me from where I was going to where I'm going now. All these years later, that was the turning point. It's a memorial stone. And these people have that same memorial stone right there. It's the place where God gets involved in our lives. Because that's not what salvation is. Yeah, you know how we all go to God. You know, we all believe in Jesus. We all believe in God. Well, yeah, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I believe him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. You don't. You're just talking. And then you get saved. And it's like, oh, now I know. God gets involved. That's what happens at turning points. That's the whole thing. God comes down and gets involved. It's not just you cleaning up your act. It's not just you stop playing the game. I guess that might be a part of it, but really what it is is that you've, you've, you want a turning point and God then comes down and gets involved and it's demonstrable. It's exactly what we look at in our text. The very essence of salvation. God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And things start to change. Now the enemy's confused. Instead of us, amen, God starts to remove the fog. We start to see things the way they should be. We go from darkness to light. And that's exactly what happens in our text. The enemy, uh, amen, now they're confused. Now, now things are disarray out there. Used to be the confusion was right here. The disarray was right here. But then God came in. Now I see things clearer than I did maybe even a minute ago. We experience victories in our lives, our marriage, our homes, our finances. Verse 11, the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines. They drove them back as far as below beth Car. In other words, there are things in our lives we start to drive back. No longer is this going to have sway in my life. No longer is this going to. No longer is this going to be the business of my life. I just drive it back. I have something operating in my life. I mean, all those destructive habits or dependencies or patterns of behavior, we drive back because God is on the scene. Amen. All because of my surrender to God. There's a restoration that takes place. He says in verse 14. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Ekron to Gath. And Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. In other words, things are, are being restored to our lives. Joy, real joy, real peace, stability, sanity. Things are being recovered. Our finances are turning around. More is coming in than going out. Woohoo! How did that happen? It wasn't, it wasn't math, I can tell you that. Well, it is a little bit of math, but... Finally, we have a strength and a dominion in our lives. It's like we have a handle on our lives. It's like we're leading and not following anymore. Verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued. They did not come in anymore into the territory of Israel. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days 
of Samuel. See, I'm not living like I can't do this. Because God has helped me, I'm living like I can do this. It's a whole different ballgame. I'm living like I can do this, and I can move on for God. I have a dominion in my life. I'm not an emotional cripple. I'm not a spiritual cripple. I have a dominion in my life. Everywhere I go, I can live for God. Everywhere I go, I have a dominion in my life that I did not have before. Because I've surrendered to God, and God is my help, amen. He's the one that's coming in. He's the one that's supplying this for me. That now, you know what? I can live for God. You know, Christianity is supernatural. God, by the Holy Spirit, comes alongside our lives, helps us along the way. See, this Ebenezer, it's a memorial to a turning point. Maybe that's what you need in your life tonight, is a turning point. Or you have a memorial. Maybe you just need to trust God where you're at with this. Because that's what it is. Trust God. He'll help you. I've had a turning point, man. I don't live defeated. I live victoriously. There's my memorial right there. My turning point to God. And he helps me. That's my Ebenezer. God helped me, and he's helping me. Because if you're anything like me, we need help all the way through. I want to close with an illustration. goes back to 1972. It's a turning point illustration. Oakland Raiders against the Phil. Pittsburgh Steelers. They're in the AFC playoffs. They're losing seven to six. Must have been a real lousy game. <laughs> seven to six. 22 seconds left. It's a 100-yard field. Pittsburgh's on their own 40. They got 60 yards to go to get a touchdown. It's fourth down. What a lousy place to be. Fourth down. You got 22 seconds to get into somewhere down there close to get a field goal or something. Terry Bradshaw, he's the quarterback. He goes back to pass, fourth down. He's, this is it for him. Running around the backfield, they, according to the commentary, he almost got sacked twice. He finally gets a pass off down to the 35-yard line. Jack Tatum gets in the way, smacks the ball. It goes flying in the air. It's going back. goes down to the turf. And just before it hits the turf, Franco Harris, rookie season, snags it, runs 42 yards, and they win 13 to 6. Now that is a turning point. <laughs> That's what God can do. <laughs> just like it, just when you think it's just got to hit the turf. And all of a sudden, whew. Thanks, God. You're great. You're the best. I thought we were going to lose. God said, oh, we don't lose. <laughs> we turn things around. Because the Bible talks about turning points. Just like in our text. That was a turning point right there. 
as bad as things were in the book of Judges, when you go through the book of Judges, it's horrible. And then all of a sudden you turn the corner and you go into 1 Samuel, the last judge, and he turns it around. And it was from here on that they move on to, like right after this, they ask for a king. Of course, they get Saul. They sputter a little bit. But then they move into David, one of the greatest errors of Israel's history. David took back land, took back territory, had dominion his whole reign, won every battle. And just when he passed it on to Solomon, Israel was at the highest peak of their existence. It started right here. It started at the turning point. The turning point in our text. Because you read your Bible from then on, you can see the turning point. All the way to the peak of David and Solomon. Because God's into turning points tonight. Amen. If you're in that place, you need a turning point. Well, you're in the right place tonight. God will help you. Let's bow our heads this evening. Our heads are bowed tonight. Praise God.